Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Welcome to episode 87 of Killer Hangover. I'm Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this week we have true crime and paranormal stories from the state of Illinois. Yes, we do. And we have a drink too. First of all, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Oh my gosh, that's right. Woof. This is coming out Thanksgiving week. We are recording a little early, which is, so it's just weird to think about Thanksgiving coming up. (laughs) (laughs) It was just Halloween. (laughs) But we are recording virtually because we're trying to get ahead of the holidays and have things recorded. So mom's audio is a little funky, so I'm sorry. I am sorry. I apologize. My microphone died on me and it's not connecting. So we're picking up just on my laptop and it's not real great. Sorry about that. We're like, we're like the queens of technical difficulties, I think. (laughs) Maybe it's because we don't know anything about technology. No. So let's make a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. So yes, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I am hosting Thanksgiving. As she always does. love to host Thanksgiving. Ever since I was a little girl, I always wanted to host Thanksgiving. Don't ask me why, but that's just like... I don't know. And then Santa comes down the parade and... Oh, we have so whoop, much fun. We put Christmas music on. Yeah, and... the tradition. We don't listen to Christmas music until after we see Christmas Vacation or Christmas... Oh, until we watch Christmas Vacation. That's right. So after... The night of Thanksgiving. The night of Thanksgiving. We watch planes, trains, and automobiles before Thanksgiving night. Yeah, and then before Thanksgiving. Christmas Vacation. And then we listen to Christmas music. Yep. That's the tradition. <laughs> It is not Christmas. I mean, Thanksgiving is like the middle child. It always gets overlooked. You have Halloween and then everybody just jumps to Christmas. And I hate Thanksgiving. I refuse to listen to Christmas music until that moment. After Thanksgiving. After Thanksgiving. I I refuse. Anyway, that's a little tidbit about us. (laughs) Another tidbit about me. I had quite the morning, Mom. I had quite the morning. I stabbed myself. (laughs) Again? I mean, my kid didn't want cheese on his breakfast sandwich, so I went to slide it off. And why did I use the sharpest knife I have? I have no idea. Literally stabbed myself. <laughs> I quickly wrap it in a towel. Mom, blood was everywhere. Oh my gosh. I said, Nolan, Aiden, go upstairs and get daddy. Alex comes down and he's like, what? The heck. It looked like a crime scene. There was blood splatter (laughs) all over the floor, (laughs) all over the counter. It was in the sink. (laughs) I mean, this is probably my sixth Band-Aid. I should probably have gone to the doctor. Probably. I had to record a podcast. Um, (laughs) But it made me think as I was sitting there over my sink watching this blood. And I mean, the wound is gross. But It made me think of the Robert Wan case because this guy was stabbed in the chest three times and then they cleaned this crime scene and there was no blood anywhere. I stabbed myself in the hand (laughs) and you would have, you would have thought I got stabbed three times in the chest. Like it was splattered everywhere. Honey, was it on the walls? Mom, I, Alex can vouch. I know that I exaggerate. I know. I know I do, but this is for reals. Like, and I, it's not like I stabbed myself and flung my hand around <laughs> where it would splatter. I'm, I'm so happy you're laughing at me. I literally stabbed it, sat there, watched it bleeding, ran over to the sink. So, but the initial stabs squirted blood everywhere. <laughs> oh my gosh. It ruined my favorite white shirt. You probably needed stitches, honey. 
Um, it's a pretty deep gash, but anyway. Is it cleaned up? Yes, of course I cleaned Did it up. Did the boys freak out? I didn't let them come into the kitchen because if they would have come into the kitchen, oh, I don't know. That would have been very scary. Especially Aiden. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Aiden would have freaked. It was quite the morning, I'm but I sorry. got both boys dressed and teeth brushed, clothes on, fed out the door on time. That's great. So, Do their clothes have splatters of blood on it? <laughs> no. <laughs> But I will tell you, because it's like right below my pointer finger, it's hard to pick up the baby because, yeah, yeah. anyway. I'm sorry. Are you, though? It was quite the entertaining story. (laughs) Most accidents happen in the house. So anyway, mom picked out the beverage this week. I did, and I did it for you. I know it's a beer. Because we all know that I do not care for beer, but... It is the Goose Island Beer Company, which, according to the classic liquor store where I go to get some of this stuff that we drink, this company, Goose Island Beer Company, is originally from Illinois, but just lately has been taken over by a different company. So I I just went with it. As you always do with your alcohol choices recently. I just I, I just went with it and I said, cool, I'm taking it. Well, no, it says right here. But it does. Chicago, it says, Illinois. It does. It says brewed and packaged by Goose Island Beer Co. in Chicago, Illinois, Baldwinsville, New York, and Fort Collins, Colorado. There so, you go. So. It does say Illinois on the can. I'm totally with it. Okay. Now, yeah, and even though we're recording virtually, mom came and visited last week and left me the beer so I can actually enjoy it with her. Yes, and this is Martin beer. It's um, Oktoberfest. It's their Oktoberfest beer. Even though it's November. <laughs> even though it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's their Oktoberfest. And... It's the German style Marzen. Yeah, that's why I got it. I'm very American there. It's a Marzen beer. (laughs) Well, let's do it. Okay, let's crack it open. Okay, one, two, three. Wow, she got it all over. (laughs) Just went everywhere. Did you shake it on the way upstairs? No, it's just been sitting here. I think I turned it around to look for where it was. Dang. I gotta go get it. Paper towel is literally everywhere. Okay, so what do you think? You cleaned up over there, Mom? I guess. (laughs) The beer is very good. (laughs) What left of it you have, I hope you enjoy. It tastes like a wheat beer. But you know how I am with beer. It's not my thing. I think it's really, really good. I thought you'd actually. enjoy it. That's why I left you the, the card. It's there. not like super hoppy. Mm-mm. It is. It really is like a, a wheat beer. Mm-hmm. You're right. It says it's a lager and it's 5.7% alcohol. So. so a little more than a normal beer. But that is really tasty. I thought you'd like Thank it. Thank you for leaving this here. This is really tasty. Mm-hmm. I think I have one more in my fridge. I'll bring it with me next time. I- you might have to. This is very good. It's very crisp. It's not a, it, even though it's a lager, it's not heavy. It, if you're a beer drinker, this is not terribly heavy and, for an Oktoberfest, especially. And to me, it has like a aftertaste. I am so not with beer. This is terrible. It's very good. It's good. I think it's very light for a lager and Oktoberfest. Honestly, it's very yummy. All right. I, I'm curious what Alex would think of this because he's like you. He's not necessarily a beer drinker. He can have like one or, but I, I, I'm curious what he would taste in this. It's very good. My, it is like a wheat beer. My sister, when she was visiting, we shared one just to see what it tasted like. She loved it. It's really refreshing. It's very light. She really I could have a few it. of those. That's really good. <laughs> Enjoy. (laughs) I will. That's really good. Okay. Let's talk to crime, Mom. All right. I have a super, super intriguing story. I know you're excited about this one. Yes. I'm so excited for this one. This true crime takes place in Chicago, Illinois in 1977. 
It's a cold, snowy night in February when firefighters are called to 2740 North Pine Grove Avenue on the north end of Chicago. It is an apartment building, and when firefighters finally get into the apartment, there seems to be no one home. The apartment is filled with smoke. Now, what seems to be on fire is a mattress in the middle of the living room. When they go to remove the mattress, they find 47-year-old Teresita Bassa, the resident of the apartment. She was deceased. She was nude with a kitchen knife stabbed in her chest. Oh, my gosh. So she was under the mattress? She She was underneath the mattress. With the kitchen knife in her. Oh, my gosh. Yes. An investigation has started. Because of the smoke damage, there's very little evidence at the scene. Even though she was nude, the autopsy showed that she had not been sexually assaulted. This is the case of Teresita Bassa, a crime scene with no evidence, no apparent motive, and no suspects. And the way it gets solved may send shivers down your spine. Let me first introduce the victim, Teresita. Like I mentioned, she was 47 when she was brutally murdered. She was born and raised in the Philippines. She attended the college, Assumption College. Afterwards, she moved to America and earned a master's degree in music from Indiana University. Mm-hmm. Music was a big part of her life. This wasn't quite filling her cup, though. She was another servant's heart, like Robert from our DC story a couple weeks ago. And that's so weird that I I mentioned him (laughs) before, and then he's getting mentioned again here. That's just mm, weird. I'm getting chills. Okay, anyway. She decided she wanted to work in the medical field and actually became a respiratory therapist. Wow. Shout out to my bestie. That's what she does for her job, Uh and I think that's really cool. Anyway, in 1977, when the murder occurred, Teresita was living in Chicago and worked at Edgewater Hospital. She was also going back to school to work on her doctoral thesis in music at Loyola University. Shout out to Sissy. Yep. Her coworkers described her as not just hardworking, but she was there for her patients. She gave her all for them. She really, really cared. She was described as very dedicated, dedicated to her studies, dedicated to her patients, and dedicated to her piano students that she would give lessons to in her little apartment in what free time she had. Wow. The day of the murder began as all others. She worked at the hospital, went home around 7.30 p.m., and chatted on the phone with her good friend Ruth for about 20 minutes. Mm Mm-hmm. Teresita told Ruth she had to go because she was expecting a visitor. And that's the last time anyone talked to Teresita. Oh. Soon the apartment would be filling with smoke and neighbors would be calling the fire department. And Teresita's body would be found, stabbed, nude, under a burning mattress. The killer had stabbed her, thrown clothes on top of her, lit the clothing on fire, then put the mattress on top of her, lighting that on fire as well. Oh my gosh. Like I mentioned, the fire and smoke ruined any and all physical evidence. Did they use gasoline or any kind of accelerant? No. Investigators could see that there was a struggle and that her apartment had been ransacked. Was this just a robbery gone wrong? The only thing that they could possibly take as evidence was on a memo pad, like a a notepad they found in Teresita's handwriting, get theater tickets for A.S. Okay. A.S. may be the only possible lead they had, but was this a person? Was this a place? Was this... Right. They didn't know. Detectives working the case found dead end after dead end Jeez. neighbors friends co-workers they're all interviewed and nothing this woman was kind kept to herself who would do this there were several public pleas for help from police but again nothing nothing i mean they got a few tips but nothing that would turn into a lead until about six months later Jeez. The lead detective on the case, Joe Stachula, gets the most bizarre lead I have ever heard of. Okay. He is, I'm getting chills. (laughs) Sorry. So crazy. He is called to the home of a doctor and his wife. 
Now, some resources just named them and others didn't. From what I understand, the couple has asked to be anonymous. Okay. So we're just going to call them Bob. Okay. Yeah. And we're just going to call them Bob and Ellen. Okay. And like I said, some resources like used names. And I also read that they wanted to be anonymous. So Bob and Ellen, Dr. Bob and his wife, Ellen. He did not work with Teresita. Didn't know Teresita. Dr. Bob did not. And Ellen, his wife, she was also a respiratory therapist at the same hospital as Teresita. So I think they knew each other. But they didn't, like, know each other. They knew of each other. Okay. Right. Like, I don't think they ever worked on the same shift or anything. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they maybe met a handful of times. So keep that in mind. Detective Statula and his partner arrive at Dr. Bob and Ellen's house in the suburbs of Chicago. They sit down with the couple, and the doctor proceeds to tell them that his wife, Ellen, was possessed by the spirit of Teresita. Huh? The two officers, I can only imagine, exchanged a few glances. This is the story Dr. Bob told the officers. Okay. Ellen had worked a long shift and decided to take a quick nap in one of the hospital lounges. She was just about to fall asleep when she felt this uncomfortable presence, like she wasn't alone. She opened her eyes to see Teresita Bassa. But this was impossible. She knew Teresita to have been murdered. But here she was, staring at her. Mm. She kind of wrote the whole experience off. She was exhausted. Right, overtired, right. But dreams of Teresita continued for weeks. One night, Ellen got home from work and was again very tired, as I'm sure many are in that field. So she gets home and she goes straight to bed. After a while, her husband went to go check on her. As he turned to leave, an odd sound escaped his wife's lips. She started speaking to him, but it didn't sound like Ellen at all. The voice coming from his wife sounded totally different. Holy smokes. Help me, she said. He went to his wife's side. Ellen, are you all right? I am Teresita Bassa. You must go to the police. They cannot find my killer. Now, poor Dr. Bob has no idea who Teresita (laughs) even is. Oh my gosh. He doesn't know what the heck is going on. He's just uncomfortable. But his wife continues to whisper in this odd voice. You must go to the police and tell them the killer's name is Alan Showery. (gasps) The conversation between Bob and his wife lasted about 30 minutes. 30 minutes? His wife wakes up and is totally normal. Bob didn't say anything to his wife about what happened. And she has he wrote no it clue. off. They didn't even talk about it. He hugs his wife and goes on with their evening. After some time passed, Bob is awoken one night by the stranger's voice coming from his wife again. This time, it's more stern. Why didn't you go to the police? I need you to go to the police. He's like, I can't. I can't just walk into a police station And tell them my wife is whispering to me about a murder. Right. That's not going to fly. I need evidence. I need proof. Right. I have proof, she stated. Alan Showery took my jewelry and gave it to his girlfriend. (gasps) The detectives sitting there are like, "Uh, how the heck do I even put this in a police report? (laughs) But... Detective Statula is like, hey. I'll go with it. It's the only lead I have. We have a name. We might as well run a background check on Showery. Right. Alan not only worked as an orderly with Teresita. Oh. But he also lived very nearby. Detective Statula starts asking questions around the hospital about Teresita and Alan. That's when coworkers put two and two together and remember that he was expected to repair her TV. Now, they didn't know if it was supposed to happen that night or if he had already fixed it or when or when they scheduled it between the two. But they remember hearing that he was supposed to fix her TV. Okay. What's the other odd coincidence was that memo found in her apartment Mm -hmm. by theater tickets for a S. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was payment for fixing her TV. 
Maybe. Police had enough to go and question him. Alan admitted that he was in her apartment the night she was murdered. Oh. He had gone to fix her TV, but he didn't have the proper tools, so he left. And that was it. Mm. Police then follow the quote-unquote tip mm-hmm. about the jewelry and contact Alan's girlfriend. She agrees to come in for questioning with all the newer jewelry that Alan had recently given her. <gasps> Teresita's friends are there to inspect it and instantly recognize many jewelry pieces. So this girlfriend had this girlfriend had no idea that this was stolen. I mean, apparently, yeah. So she, she was she just randomly wearing it or did they ask her to bring it in? They asked her to bring in newer jewelry and the friends are sitting there like inspecting the jewelry. And I guess there was this really large chunky jade, either bracelet or necklace that they instantly knew was Teresita's. And then they were like, Oh, and that ring you're wearing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Police are in like total disbelief. How could all of this just be falling into place? Once the jewelry was confirmed to have been stolen from Teresita and given to his girlfriend around the time of her death, Alan admitted to being the killer. Holy smokes. He admitted that he went to her house to fix the TV. He didn't have the right tools, so he left. But he came back shortly after that, and as she turned to lock the door behind her as he walked in, he grabbed her. He strangled her until she passed out, and well, then we know what happened. Right. He told them that he had stripped her of her clothes to make it look like a rape had occurred. He ransacked her house and then stabbed her once in the chest. He was hoping to get enough money to make rent, but was only able to get about $30 and the jewelry. Sit there and think about that. 30 This woman was just strangled and stabbed for $30 and a couple pieces of jewelry. Jeez. He was arrested and charged with murder. The case went to trial about two years later with Alan actually claiming he was not guilty. Of course. Even though he had already admitted to the killing, but it ended in a hung jury. Uh, I mean, I can only imagine being on that jury. I mean, just... (laughs) Evidence has been brought to the police through possession. And then... But the girlfriend did have the jewelry. I mean, that's proof. It is. But it was a hung jury. Waiting for the retrial... Alan all of a sudden claimed that he was guilty. (laughs) He doesn't know what's going on. Making a plea for a sentence reduction. Oh, okay. Alan Showery was charged a 14-year sentence. That's it? He got 14 years? Oh, just wait. Rumor has it he changed his mind to plead guilty because Teresita's spirit visited him in prison, but I think it was just for a plea deal. Whatever, yeah. What really sucks is that he ended up serving five years. Five? He was released on parole after five years. Why? I mean, he served two at his trial, so I can see them taking those off. So how did that get down to five? He murdered a woman and got five years. I don't understand that at all. Skeptics, of course, have dug into this case. I mean, did her ghost really solve her own murder? Ellen barely knew Teresita. She had worked with Alan, though. Mm. Okay. And some resources claimed she was afraid of Alan. So, playing skeptic, maybe she assumed it was him who killed the other respiratory therapist everyone was talking about. And out of fear, she couldn't come forward and call him out. So she did this whole possession scheme. But how would she know that he had stolen the jewelry and given it to his girlfriend? Exactly. She's always denied this was a scheme. No, it doesn't sound right. Regardless of why she did what she did, if it was fake or if it was real, the murderer, who would have otherwise gotten away with it, was caught. Yeah. Five years. Jeez. Oh, my gosh. But he can't work in the know. hospital anymore. He's got a record. So how's yeah. he going to get rent? Jeez. Probably going to kill somebody else because apparently it only costs five years in prison. Oh, my gosh. 
I know this was a short true crime story this week, but I've always just gotten the chills from that story. <laughs> Isn't that creepy, though? No, it is. It's so weird. And I don't think this Ellen is making it up. It, she just knew too much. Uh, I, ugh, it's just weird. Very spooky. Wow. But kind of reminded me of the movie Ghost. Isn't that what Patrick Swayze does? Doesn't he come back as a ghost to find his killer? Yeah, he does. And he uses Whoopi Goldberg. He does. I love that movie. I haven't seen that movie in so long. I know. I might have to find it. I'm actually not thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Might have to watch that tonight. And you love Patrick Swayze. (laughs) My Apple Watch just told me it's time to stand. Nah, I'm just going to take another sip of beer and listen to a paranormal story. (laughs) You know how things how weird things happen to us during the podcast. Like spilling your beer? No, I mean like coincidences. and How they just like fall into place and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It is weird because, listeners, we don't talk about what we're going to talk about on the podcast. So We just tell each other we're doing what state. That's it. That's it. So Beth has no idea what I'm going to talk about on this paranormal part. Beth, what I'm going to talk about is possession. No way. <laughs> and on that note, I'm taking another guzzle of beer. That is just so crazy. When you start talking about that, I went, oh, my gosh. And yes, I got chills <laughs> for a different reason. It's like, Ugh. oh, that is too weird. Oh, no. Possession. So you ready? Oh, this stuff really creeps me out. But it does. it's not demonic okay so it isn't just like yours yours wasn't demonic either it was i know but the exorcism just really that stuff bothers me yeah we haven't talked about that kind of stuff yet and i and it's not in mine either so maybe that's what i have to look into because i've read a lot about that stuff then we'll just really be creeped out (laughs) (sighs) share your story i'm ready okay what sika Illinois is a little Midwestern town about halfway between Chicago and Champaign. People that don't know where Champaign is, I looked it on the map. It's about 100 miles south of Chicago. Not Champaign, but Watsika. It's about 100 miles south of Chicago. I don't want to say a bad joke and say Champagne's in your belly. (laughs) She cracks herself up. According to the 2010 census, the population of the town was 5,255. Okay. Not many people have heard of Watsika nowadays, but back in the late 1800s, the tiny town had made headlines throughout the nation. The story begins with Mary Roth, who was born October 8, 1846, to Asha and Dorothy Roth. When Mary was just a baby, she began to have cataleptic fits. Now, this is a condition characterized by muscular rigidity, fixity of posture, and a decreased sensitivity to pain. So the pictures that I saw when I looked this up... Those are a lot of really big words. (laughs) Okay. Let me me down it for you. I'm going to just... Okay, this is what I got from it. She's very stiff. (laughs) Yes, but what is so weird is it, like, hits you. It can hit you in in the middle of saying hi to somebody. And all of a sudden, your arm is just up in the air and you, I mean, it could hit. You know, the pictures that I saw were people, like, leaning forward with their arms out. And they're just, like, frozen like that. For how long? It it could go on for a few minutes, a few hours. It's oh, just, no. and can you imagine if your baby did that? I mean, just all of a sudden, Oh, how scary. Boom. Oh, how scary. As Mary grew older, her condition became worse. She went from having fits every few weeks to every four to five days. Oh, my gosh. Also, as Mary got older, she was convinced that the fits allowed her to speak to spirits and gave her clairvoyant abilities. She hmm. suffered from severe headaches. The antidote to that in those days was leeching. Oh, sure, sure. That makes sense. Sure. Which, of course, did not help. (laughs) What? No way. But Mary felt sorry for these poor little critters that had tried to help her. So she kept the leeches as pets. So cute. (laughs) So cute. So cute and cuddly. Oh. (laughs) 
Oh, I'm getting shivers for other reasons. So I guess Mary had gotten into her head that this bleeding thing was the antidote to her problems. So I guess she, what we call, she was into cutting. Mm. So one day she tried to bleed herself. And on July 16th, 1864, she went to the backyard and she cut her, her arm very deeply with a knife. Okay, How she, old was she when she did this? Like a teenager or 18, preteen? Yeah, she was she was a teenager. Oh man. She lost a lot of blood and well, fainted. Yeah. Oh. 5 hours later. Now, now she went to the backyard to do this knowing I think that she would lose a lot of blood. Well, she didn't want to probably so, splatter her kitchen like so, I did. Yeah, exactly. So 5 hours later she woke up but was completely crazed not herself it took five men to hold this girl down and she was this like barely a hundred pounds she was a, a slight girl it took five men to hold her down is that a common thing after you lose a lot no of it was nuts be surged like that after mary was finally sedated she slept for over 12 hours and awoke Oof. calm but she claimed she could no longer use her senses she could not see, feel, or hear as she once could. Oh my gosh. But, get this, she could see with a blindfold on. How is this not demonic, Mom? This is, this is okay. demonic. Okay. No, it makes no sense, okay? It just makes no sense. How do you see, what? Mary could read anything set before her with a blindfold on, but without it she could not see. She read the encyclopedia with a blindfold on a note or a letter that was set before her you know like a some newspaper guy came and said okay you know this isn't real and he put a closed letter in front of her and said read the two addresses you know from and two addresses on the envelope she had no idea who this guy was i mean she read them correctly why is the mailman coming into her room <laughs> news person he's a newsman but not, even <laughs> not the mailman, because he, I mean, this was. Why is a news person coming into her room? This, this girl just cut herself in her backyard, needed five grown men to pull her back into her house. Let's call the news. Well, no, by this time she's calm. Remember, she's calm. And now it's spreading. This, this girl can read with blindfold on, but she can't read without. So, of course, the newspaper wants to make a story about this. So he came to test it. And by not, golly, not it, the mailman. it was true. Not the mailman, no. Her father even tried to test her by falsifying what he laid in front of her. So he was just like, okay. And I think that the preacher got involved in this, too. It was like, okay, we got it. You know, this isn't real. So let's tell her that we're putting, I don't know. Let's tell her we're putting a letter in front of her but really we're putting you know something else in front of her you know just to test it out uh-uh didn't work every time she was able to read exactly what was in front of her so even when they lied to her she got it right then mary so is the claims that like a, a somebody was reading it and reading it to her or something no no there is no sense there's no absolutely no explanation then Mary claimed to hear voices and was able to speak in voices, even using languages she had no way of knowing. So now spirits are possessing her, and she's speaking for these spirits, and even in languages she has never learned. Okay. So what to do with Mary? Her parents were at their wit's end, and doctors had no explanation. Of course, what doctors did in those days. A lobotomy. Nope, I don't know what's wrong oh. with, but close. I don't know what's wrong with her, so I suggest that we put her in an insane asylum. Sure. In Peoria, Illinois, for a, quote, water cure. Oh, no. That sounds terrible. Now, this is where patient, a patient is put in a tub for hours, overnight, or even days. Now, depending on their condition, it could be warm water, hot water, ice cold water. If their condition is, for instance, insomnia, well, then they'd be put in a tub 
with nice warm water to soothe them okay. and to put them to sleep. Okay. If they were You've like, seen that a lot nicer than it probably really was, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, you're, you're in this tub for perhaps days, even with warm water, it would be terrible with like patients that were, for instance, bipolar, they would put them in ice cold water for days because they thought it slowed the blood so it slowed the blood to the brain and that slowed the manic. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. Yeah. So I'm not sure which one they used on Mary, but probably the ice cold water is what I'm assuming. This treatment did not, of course, help Mary. On July 5th, 1865, at the age of 19, Mary died. Most of the sources I read said that she died in the asylum. Some say that she died at home, but nowhere could I find how she died. Mm, that's weird. She's 19. She was 19. Okay. The end. You're kidding. Yeah, I am kidding. Okay. I was like, <laughs> mom, her listeners are going to be so mad. <laughs> Believe I mean, me. I know the creepy story, but no. Uh-uh. The story continues. On April 16th, 1864, so a year before Mary died... Mary Lorancy Venom was born, and her nickname was Rancy, so I'm going with that. Rancy and her family lived just a few houses down from the rough home, so from where Mary lived. Okay. Everything was fine until 1877. Now, by this time, Mary has died. When Rancy, who was 12, started suffering from cataleptic fits. Oh, my Gosh, there's got to be something in the water. But nobody else is. But children are. Just those two. That's so creepy. Rancy's cataleptic fits became worse. She would have up to 12 a day. <gasps> Sometimes she convulsed so badly that her feet would touch her head. What? Yeah. It's like her whole body would convulse and like bend in these really horrible Ew, ways it's just like the exorcism like this is this is what i don't like there's even a picture of her like bending backwards so far back that it it's impossible and she's frozen in that position mm. it's 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 nuts and she's only 12 okay other times her fits would last for hours even days so she'd be in this cataleptic fit for days. Ugh. She, ugh, ugh, I don't like this. She claimed she would hear voices calling her name. She could not sleep, and she had terrible stomach pains. Now remember, Mary had terrible headaches. Mm. Rancy would go into trances where she claimed to see spirits, and just like Mary... Rancy would speak in different voices and different languages. Now, are the people that live in the area putting two and two together that this is a lot like Mary? Or Probably. I know that this baby is a lot younger, but there's got to be people around the area that are like, they're this going, is too complicated. We, like, we've, we've heard this story yeah. before. She would describe places that she had never been in in complete detail. Doctors had no answers as to what was wrong with Rancy, so just like Mary, they told her parents that their only recourse was to send Rancy to the insane asylum in Peoria. Man, they haven't come up with a different answer by this time? Jeez. I don't think they would today either. <laughs> this is just weird. We know how well that turned out for poor Mary. So here we go with sources again, all right? Some sources say that the townspeople convince the parents not to send Rancy to the Insale Asylum. Yeah, yeah. Other sources say that it was actually Mary Roth's father, Asha, who was oh. by this time very much into spiritualism and that he was the convincer to the parents not to send her. Oh, that's really sad if that's true. I'm not sure, but I'm leaning towards the Asha, Asher, Asha, because once he heard of Rancy and her condition, he could easily see the similarities between it and Mary's, and he knew the insane asylum would not be the answer and would instead be the death of Rancy. Now, Rancy, when people would come to visit, would often introduce herself as a 63-year-old 
Katrina Hogan from Germany and speak in a very broken German accent and sometimes even speak German. Oh, well, then your choice in beverage was right on. It was. <laughs> there you go. Or sometimes a little boy named Willie Canning. So she was those two personalities. But the day that Asa Roth paid a visit to the home, Rancy said she was Mary and wanted to go home. Oh. Asa somehow convinced Rancy's parents to take her to a spiritualist who was also a doctor. Oh, boy. Dr. E. Winchester Stevens. Now, this was not an easy thing for Rancy's parents to do. They were very devout Methodists, and the Mm. Methodists condemned spiritualism. But there were no answers for their child, and to see their child going through this strange, horrible condition. It's worth a shot, and then on top of it, this guy is also a doctor, so maybe maybe that makes it a little more comforting. They wanted answers. And they took Rancy to see Dr. Stevens. And he actually wrote a book, The Wasiki Wonder, published in 1887. And Dr. Stevens writes, quote, The most remarkable case of spirit return and manifestation ever recorded in history. A girl dead and buried 12 years comes back, identifies herself, and lives for three months and 10 days as the recognized daughter of her parents. All right. So, yes. You so they're saying that right. this is Mary if reincarnated? You are, if you are confused, I will explain. Rancy went to live at the rough house as Mary. After this? So. What? They took, they took her to the doctor. And between the doctor and Mr. Ruff and this girl who says now she's Mary she wants to go home. Mary wants to go home. And she keeps saying that. So finally the parents agree to let her go with Mr. Ruff and live a few houses down because remember they live close but live a few houses down at the Ruff house as Mary. Okay this is crazy. Yes. According to Dr. Stevens, Rancy had allowed the spirit of Mary to possess her. Then Mary, using Rancy, stated that she would possess Rancy until Rancy's soul had been healed. So oh. now, Rancy is at the Ruff's house. She is able to recognize family and friends of Mary, whom she had never met. She recognized items that were still around which had belonged to Mary. She even played the piano exceedingly well, something Mary could not do. Mary Uh, could not do? No, sorry. Something Mary could do, Rancy had never touched a piano. Mary loved to play the piano. Rancy recalled the house and its surroundings that the Ruffs lived in in Texas before they moved to Wasika. (laughs) Yeah. And just as strange... As all that, Rancy also seemed not to know her own family or friends anymore. Oh my god, that poor mother. Can you imagine? So this was like her mom a total (gasps) possession. And the things that she said and did, I mean, how could she explain and describe where they lived in Texas? She described the house perfectly and, and the yard and everything, just like Mary would have recalled it. This girl had never been there. She didn't even know Mary. She didn't even know the family. Oh, my gosh. All right. On May 7th, (laughs) I had to throw that in, Mary. Your birthday. Yeah, we get it, Mom. Slash. all about you. (laughs) Slash Rancy (laughs) announced that on May 22nd, she would be leaving Rancy's body. And just like that. She announced that she. Oh, my gosh. This is so crazy. And just like that. On May 22nd, Rancy once again became herself and pleaded to go home to her parents. According to an account in the Chicago Tribune... Did she, like, give a two weeks notice or, like... <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. She said that her soul had been healed and that she would leave the body. I, I, 
So That's so crazy. According to an account in the Chicago Tribune, it states that after Rancy came home, quote, her family found her healthy and well and to be more in- intelligent and polite than before the ghostly possession. So now she's smarter. Wow. They believe she was cured by spirit power. So where did she go? On all accounts that I looked at, Rancy went on to have a normal and long life. No longer plagued by fits. She no longer had the, you know, the cataleptic or whatever it's called. I don't see the word. <laughs> she no longer had the fits. <laughs> she married George Binning and the family, which included 11 children. Oh, my gosh. Moved to a farm in Kansas. Rancy died at the age of 88 in 1952 in Los Angeles, California. Now, I don't know how she made her way to Los Angeles, but... From Kansas. She was 88 when she died and no longer had any fits or possessions or anything else. That is one of the craziest stories. Isn't it, though? It's, it's so weird, and it's documented. It's just so weird. So while she was Mary, where did she go? Where did... <laughs> Rancy go? Yeah. Her soul was being healed, so I guess Rancy didn't exist. I, I, I can't wrap my mind around this. Okay. It was Mary in Rancy's body without Rancy's soul. I don't know. I mean, it, it was it, Mary in Rancy's yeah, body. Yeah, I'm sorry. Without Ran- Mom. <laughs> I know, it's so confusing. It was Mary in Rancy's body without Rancy's soul because Rancy's soul was being healed. I don't know why it needed to be healed. What but... does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> don't know, Margo. <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, it, how can you make that up, too? And know all yeah. And know all the things that she knew. That she knew. That she knew. I mean, she, she found a headband that uh, Mary had used that was still laying around the house for some reason, but she found this headband and Mary had used it when Mary had short hair. And she said, oh, here's, you know, here's the headband that I used when I had short hair. I'm happy I don't have short hair anymore or something like that. There was no way that Rancy would have known. She didn't even know Mary. But she lived as Mary for like, what, three months? She lived in the house for three months and 10 days is what the doctor wrote in his book. Have you read the book? That sounds really interesting. No, I haven't read the book. (laughs) What kind of researcher are you? I don't know. Oh. I've read excerpts from the book, but I haven't read the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, he was a... Passing your job. He was a spiritualist, so, of course, he was into, you know, he believed this stuff, but still... How can you not when you see this evidence in front of you? That's so spooky. That's so spooky. Were they feeding the child this information? You know? But why would this child willingly go to a stranger's house and live there? For three months. For three months. I mean, she wouldn't. And how would she? I, I, I just, it's crazy. It is crazy. It's a crazy story. So is mine. <laughs> No, yours was too. And the weird thing was, it's all about possession. Oh my gosh. That's really creepy that we both picked those stories. It, it's it's absolutely crazy. I don't know how to explain it. You know, I mean, I, I read it, I wrote it, and then I was just like, how do I? Because you know me, I always have like the backside. Oh, but it could have been this and this whenever we talk about. You didn't about see anything else. The paranormal. Like but I'm looking at this going. I just don't know how they could have faked this. I I don't know. I don't know how she could have read the stuff in front of her blindfolded. Yeah, that's weird. Mary. I I don't know how she could have done that. I don't know how Rancy and Mary could speak in languages that they'd never learned. Perfectly. Mm -mm. No accents. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. That's all so weird. So weird. Well. Okay. There you have it. Next week, I guess we're doing California. Oh, next week we are going to California. We're following Mary to California. Is that Did she re- move from Kansas to California? <laughs> yes, Isn't that what you said? <laughs> Mary didn't. Rancy did. Well, didn't Rancy move? Yes, yeah, she did. <laughs> okay. 
So my joke made sense. Yeah, but we're in Illinois. Oh, shoot. (laughs) Okay, well, you live in Kansas, so we're going from Kansas to California. I don't know. I'm going to make the joke work. Anyway, next week we're covering true crime and paranormal stories from California. And I am picking the beverage, and I'm not going to be picking sparkling. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I have a very big case that everyone's heard about, but I'm really interested in investigating. So, And I'm covering a really fun paranormal story. So we're excited! Another really good episode. <laughs> very cool. I will have a new mic by then. So hopefully if we do this virtually, it'll be a lot better acoustically, I guess. So Yes. Yes, 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 yes. I apologize. Yes. Thank you to our patrons. Yes. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, you can find us on the app or on patreon.com. Just look for Killer Hangover Podcast. Join us. It's $5 a month. You buy us a drink. Thank you for the beer this week. It's very tasty. <laughs> you can find all the resources and photos from this episode on our website, killerhangoverpodcast.com. I'll be sure to try one that has somebody in a fit that's bending over backwards. Oh, I could show you a picture of a toddler in a fit if you want me to. I got plenty of those going around. Actually, when this episode comes out, our elf on the shelf is going about is about to pop out. So we have very well-behaved boys when our elf Griswold is here. I wish Griswold could be here year-round. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast so that you don't miss a new episode. Yes. And if you can find the time, if you can give us a little review, that would be great because that kind of shoves us up the charts a little bit. Yeah. Spread the word. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating. Tell your mom about us. You guys can listen (laughs) together. Or your dad, or your sister, or your brother, or your friend. Or your, I don't or know. your daughter. Or your dog. <laughs> or dog. Oh. They'll leave us the best reviews, I'm sure. All right. Well, fun stuff, kiddo. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Virtual cheers, mom. Virtual cheers. I'm going to go change the bandage on my okay. hand. Okay. Love you, kiddo.